Hello and welcome to Simply Technical. We're back again. I think this is episode 10, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's what I titled this on the recording. Uh, episode 10, Keaton's again with me, or we're together, I guess. Like, we're not paying together, but we're together, um, like a podcast. Oh. <laughs> um, but we're joined here again with Matt. It's been a little bit since Matt's been on, probably, what, three years? Probably longer than that. Maybe even longer than that. Um, but glad to have you back on. We had the live reaction of the NBA draft like four years ago. Um, and yeah, Kevin Love got traded, right? (laughs) (laughs) The famous Kevin Love trade that didn't actually happen. Um, but yeah, so welcome back, Matt. We're uh, excited to have you on again. Thanks for having me, Phyllis. Of course, of course. And uh, Matt's in finance currently, right? Accounting. Yeah, somewhat. Um, but I fake my way. Fake it to make it. <laughs> in in the nighttime, he is a researcher. He researches a bunch of topics. Um, and one of the things that we kind of want to talk about is BlackRock, which, I, for those that don't know, what kind of is BlackRock? So BlackRock is like an asset management company. Um, most people, when they think of asset management company think of like fidelity um fidelity is basically a firm or a fund where people invest money in their 401k and then from there fidelity and blackrock vanguard companies of that nature will go in and take the money that you invested in them and invest into stocks and they make their money by charging you like three percent of the four thousand you invest or something like that so that's essentially how these asset management companies work yeah well they also as they make you more money on the stocks they invest in, that three percent that they may take off the top gets a higher. The more they more they invest, more you make, more they make, more you pay. So that's essentially how they make money. Okay, I, I've definitely heard of Vanguard before, and I, they're pretty popular at least when it comes to four one ks. They're pretty mainstream, and I found out we kind of talked about it a little bit before the podcast, but I kind of found out about BlackRock. <laughs> Just through people like complaining that they're buying a bunch of investment properties um, when the stock or when the housing market was skyrocketing, I guess they they do that as well. Not just in stocks, but you know, asset acquirement. Oh yeah, we'll learn. They have their hands in everything, every industry, all kinds of things. Do you know how much uh, um, they have under management? So their asset under management as of the end of 2022 was $10 trillion. <laughs> so for reference, your U.S. GDP is $23 trillion. Yeah. The only country bigger than um, BlackRock was U.S. and China. Outside of that, they manage assets worth more than every other country in the world. Wow. <laughs> I want to That's say insane. next largest was Germany at $4 trillion. Uh, I may be missing the country here and, and there, but I they were third in the world essentially. Wow. Yeah. That's that's a little bit more than that I have, you know, currently, but it's close. We're neck and neck. Yeah. Uh, they're selling more switches. Yeah. No, they just need to steal them. Um, okay. Well, what what kind of are the large things that BlackRock, as a consumer, like it was very alarming that they were buying so much property like oh they're going to control everything before the end of the year uh what kind are they mainly in i guess stocks and then 
Yeah. So like the the reason why people say that they kind of control the world and everything we do per se is they do own so much stocks in all these companies. Um, For those who may not know a whole lot about stocks, when you own a significant share of a company's stock, you get what's considered to be part of the on the board because uh, most all corporations are required to have a board of directors that always kind of manage and guide the overall like they don't guide the day-to-day workings but they say hey we want you to approach this strategy um so just i pulled a few that are pretty popular here they own 4.25 percent of apple but that equates to 97 billion dollars of apple they own Microsoft, they only own 4.5%, but that's 84 billion of Microsoft. Same with Google, 4.46%, 26 billion. Amazon, 3.75%, 39 billion. They just, it's kind of weird if you look across the industries and all they invest in, or how much they have in all these companies, it's only 4 or 5%, sometimes 7 but when you're looking at these companies that have, you know, BlackRock, Vanguard, Fidelity, all these major asset firms investing in them, when you own four or five percent of a company, that is a significant, significant share. So, some of the other examples they have, um, I just got a kind of list here. I'll read off. Financial services they own Chase, Visa, Mastercard, Medical. They have Pfizer, Johnson and Johnson, United Health. They've got Conoco and Exxon and the oil and gas. They've got Raytheon, Lockheed Martin, Boeing, and Missile and Defense. Um, a lot of people also bring up the fact they own significant stakes in Fox, CNN, MSNBC, New York Times. So the reason why they kind of have this stigma around them that they, you know, quote unquote, control everything is that they have board of directors on you know, both sides of the media, uh, competing companies such as Pepsi and Coke, um, Unilever, they own, they own General Mills. I mean, you name it. They can essentially dictate the market based upon their findings from the board of directors. Now, as I mentioned earlier, it's not direct market, but if they want to guide the overall strategy for an entire industry, they have the power and capability to do so. Well, we're about to ask a question, Keaton. Yeah, yeah. So I guess my main question is: Are they actually are they actually getting board seats? I figured lots of Black Rocks is more is like since it's ETF based, or a lot of it is ETF based. It's like passive in most companies. There's just no way you could possibly sit on because they're they're a major shareholder in every every company in S and P right. 500 uh, naturally, um, kind of like Vanguard. And I think I don't. I mean, I guess. Vanguard is similar uh, structure as exact same structure as BlackRock, I guess. It's just uh, BlackRock seems to be the one that we focus most on for, I don't really know why, because I guess I've heard more, I always hear more about Vanguard, like investing wise, like, oh, I use, I bought the Vanguard as a B500 ETF, uh, but I don't even know what BlackRock's ETFs are. Like they don't have like a BlackRock ETF, I don't think. No, they do. Yeah, they do. Because um, that actually goes back into, uh, I kind of mentioned before the podcast, but BlackRock was consulted by the government both in the 2008 crisis and the 2020 crisis for the pandemic when the markets crashed. Um, they got a no bid contract 
to advise the government on how to move forward and how to reset the market essentially when the market crashed so bad. So I, I can't speak for 2008, but in 2020, they got a $750 billion contract to basically invest in a corporate bond, to invest into ETFs, and they got an exemption during that time to invest in their own ETF. So they essentially prop the market up, or part, partially prop the market up. That's probably one Basically. of the so they, act, they have um, advisory services as well. So they act as an advisor. But like I said, they had an exemption. So they were allowed to advise, say, their, their clients to invest in certain stuff. Yeah. But they were also telling the government to invest in corporate bonds in the same notions at the same time. So it, it's wild when you look at it from that they essentially both times in the market crashes, they had free reign to kind of reset the market however they wanted to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, from my understanding, they're allowed to be on the boards of other companies. Um, also, if you got to think, even if they aren't directly sitting on the board, one phone mm -hmm. call, hey, I'll pull my 30 billion from your company if you don't do X, Y, Z. Yeah. And we all know there's tons of corruption in the world that's... Yeah. I mean, someone could tell me, hey, if you don't do this, I'm not going to give you $5,000. Yeah. Yeah. I'd do it. <laughs> so maybe if even if they aren't on boards, holy, there's indirect influence. There's indirect influence, right? Well, the board is above everybody pretty much, right? I mean, right. So like, so the, like the O reports to. Yeah, they have quarterly report outs to the board. Um, and so it's also like, well, and I mean, how many people are usually on a board of that size? Is it, you know, it 12? depends. Um, they usually try and keep it an odd number because of voting purposes, because I do vote. Um, I can't speak for sure on something that big, but I know when I was at Hertz, my previous employer, our board was 13 people big. Okay. Um, now, for example, with that Carl Icahn, who's a billionaire in the industry, he owned 34, 35% of Hertz, and he had four board seats. So essentially, all you had to do was get a couple other board yeah. members on, on board, no pun intended. <laughs> then um, he could kind of dictate the move that the company would move with that. Yeah. Carl Icahn, Carl Icahn uh, is like, I guess he's like one of the most popular uh, activist investors. I watched a show or a documentary about the... Um, Oh, there's like some pyramid scheme company selling like shakes or something. And and him and uh, Bill Ackman, another activist billionaire, basically got in this like uh, Bill Ackman was shorting the company. And then he, Carl Icahn, was basically causing a short squeeze to, to uh, uh, cause Bill Ackman to lose a bunch of money just simply because he didn't, they didn't like each other. Yeah. <laughs> there's the same thing going on right now with Bill Gates and Elon Musk. Like they hate each other and it's all because Bill has a short on Tesla stock. Oh yeah. <laughs> and there was a, I, I don't remember exactly what's all happened, but I heard Elon make comments one day. He was like, I will do X, Y, and Z when Bill quits shorting my stock. Yeah. <laughs> well, Bill, uh, Bill's getting short squeeze or has been, I guess not as bad anymore. It's been since Tesla's been getting hammered, yeah. but. At, for a while there he was he was probably getting squeezed and losing quite a bit of money yeah no kidding well yeah like you said you have to get a couple people on board i guess with your decision but if you're all buddies like 
hey, I'll do what you want on this, you know, for, you know, my General Mills stock if you do this for um, my Pepsi stock, you know, or something like that. Like, Oh, yeah, it's crazy. So I don't know. Did you guys ever watch the show Billions by chance? No. So it's my favorite show. It's phenomenal. And even if you don't completely understand the stock market, it's great. But you see a lot of that where Bobby Axelrod, the main character, hot shot on Wall Street. He's kind of like a Carl icon, just more yeah. younger and douchier. Um, <laughs> he'll go into the board meetings that he owns significant shares in and basically, you know, like he said, get with your buddies and just be like, hey, if you vote my way, I'll make sure and turn this, you know, $5 million fund I just got signed on, invest in your companies. And so sure enough, boom, they invest with them. <laughs> yeah, it's a great show. Yeah, a lot of reminds me maybe a little bit too much of the government when it comes to like passing bills and stuff. It's like, hey, I'll vote yes on your bill if you vote yes on my bill. Thanks. It's essentially all it is. Um, it's all about networking. And that's what they mean. When you get your job, they say it's all about networking. Well, yeah. it's all about the handshakes that nobody knows about. Oh, yeah. Um, well, has BlackRock slowed down at all as far as like, like I said, I'm more knowledgeable. I say knowledgeable. I know more about the um, housing market with them. Have they slowed down quite a bit on that? I think they have, haven't they, with interest rates going up? I mean, I guess they pay cash for everything, so it don't matter too much. I would guess so, that they probably have slowed down on that. Also, I doubt they pay cash for everything. Oh, you don't think so? Hey. No. most. I mean, there's a reason you look at all these masses. Like Apple, their cash on hand is ridiculous. But yet, if you look at their interest they pay each you know quarter it's unbelievable how much they pay and they don't need to they just in order to bump up their earnings per share that's what they do yeah so like i'm looking and this always can this confuses me about blackrock like yeah they own 10 trillion in assets uh most semi indirectly through their mostly their etfs at least at least three trillion of it are through the etfs but then their revenue each Last year was only seventeen point eight billion dollars. Yeah, this, that's just because the percentages are so low on, like it's just like low cost index fund investing is not yielding high percentage ret- return. Well, I guess that I mean when you when they oversee all the assets, some of that stock they may have held for years. Forever. Like, for example, the Apple stock, I look to see, I think, what I have written down, $97 billion that they own stock in. Mm-hmm. Um, their average buy price was $38. Oh, yeah. And I bought Apple stock when it split two or three years ago, and it was like $110 a piece. Mm-hmm. And it's up to like $150, 60 now. As yeah. Of today. So, I mean, I think their average price is in the 30s. A lot of those assets, they've just basically held on to for quite some time yeah yeah so that's why you went through the revenue so small i actually compared it so i wrote down apple's revenue in 2022 was 394 billion gosh oh man it's an insane difference but for comparison kind of closer you know i mentioned hertz earlier hertz revenue for 2022 was only 9 billion so in that regard blackrock's by revenue standpoint, only twice as big as Hertz. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the assets it manages, basically manages more than every country in the world. Yeah. 
well, I mean, why why are they not making much? I guess a bunch of write-offs are in, investing in assets, so their revenue. No, I, think, I guess that would be profit. Then I think they don't make a lot because the in the asset management and index fund uh, market is has is so competitive that you have basically no cost index fund investing. Uh, and so they, they don't technically generate a revenue. If there's a 0% management fee on a S&P 500 index fund, they don't make anything from that. But they, you know, if you get, if I put $1,000 into S&P 500, BlackRock S&P 500, which I don't think is named that, it's named something else, then that gets divvied up whatever percent base they have, they, they should have on that ETFs page. And if it's, let's just say it's evenly divided into all 500 companies, then Two dollars goes into all five companies or five hundred companies. Sorry, uh, and yeah, that I guess it's a zero. They they make nothing off of that. It's just power. <laughs> yeah, that too. And if you compare a lot of their their if you 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 can't really compare their assets under management of the ten trillion to their revenue because it's, some of them are just such long long term plays. Mm-hmm. You know, when you own a lot of that stuff for 10, 15 years, you're not going to see any revenue until you sell that asset off. Um, and like on, they have quarterly reports that come up, maybe even monthly, of uh, basically their movement in stocks. So it might say, say, let's take Apple, for example, they may sell off 5 billion of Apple, but also turn around, they bought 7 billion of Apple. So there's a plus 2 billion investment in the company. And a lot of that's due to, say, you know, you're, parents are getting six to say they turn 65 and they're ready to cash out on their 401k well that's going to be say if they invested in blackrock for their 401k then they're going to be getting that money back yeah yep exactly so that's kind of why you see a lot of that transition and yeah and that, at that point in time when those old people cash out is when you see them make a profit mm-hmm. okay so I guess the, the other big conspiracy thing I actually think a bigger conspiracy with blackrock is like the overall influence on entire markets, like they they really push for the ESG uh, thing, and that's become quite overblown in in markets. And that, like you said earlier, can be used to influence certain things, such as like uh, for example, Tesla is not on ESG, so ESG is the like green, it's like environmental right. safety and government governance or something like that. Uh, or social and governance. I don't know. Yeah, they're uh, a governing body for basically environmentalists. Yes, yes. And it's either environment-based or it's like social justice company-based. And you can get on this nice ESG list, but Tesla wasn't on it while, while uh, you know, Exxon and all them were on ESG. Uh, and those that, that creates inflows into you and raises your stock price because people invest in like ESG ETFs. And so like, that right. results in your stock being inflated. And, and I, I know for a fact that they definitely influence those huge like industrial spaces. They, I, I think they're one of the main catalysts behind the uh, original ESG movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, no, I, I definitely agree with that. I, I think their influence is overblown to an extent, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I also think it's understated. Yeah. Because they do have their hands in so, so much of it. Like, I mean, for example, look at 
Pepsi and Coke. They own they have significant stakes in both. They've got over ten billion investment in both of them. Yeah. I mean, if they want to drive up the price of Pepsi products and Coke products, which if you want to get into what all Pepsi and Coke own, I mean that's a oh, long so much. <laughs> yeah. So it's like some of the some of people's arguments as to why they are so influential in in mainly the United States um, mm-hmm. is because they have such a major influence on these companies that have an influence on us. Yeah. So like Evan said earlier, he didn't know much about BlackRock outside of the the home invasion or not invasion, but the home buy acquisition mm-hmm. acquisition. There you go, good term. Yeah. Um, but what people don't realize is that. You know, they've got such a significant buying power in, let's say, Chase. Well, Chase makes money every time most of us swipe our cards. Every time you swipe your card, when it goes to Chase, that money goes to BlackRock. So they're on, they have like a, a buffer between them and the consumer, which is why most consumers are completely unaware of firms like BlackRock, Vanguard, and what's the other one? State Street. State Street. I've never even heard of State Street. Interesting. Yeah, I neither. <laughs> yeah. Well, so when you're investing in BlackRock 500 or Vanguard 500, um, I was just say Vanguard 500 because I know that exists. I that's my basically only holding. <laughs> yeah. Um, so say you invest in that. You're not actually investing in the S and P 500. You're investing in Vanguard's portion of that. Yeah. They, Am I getting that right? They they. I mean, legally, I'm sure they're obligated to follow exactly what they say, <laughs> but I guess technically they could, if there was someone manipulating it, they could just funnel all the money into, it could it could be, you know, a big uh, uh, Bernie Madoff situation, but I mean, they're audited and and all um, those yeah, things. Yeah, I mean, certain- there's, there's instances where I want to say it was Google that I read when I was researching for this. Google has a big stake in BlackRock. But yeah, as I said earlier, they've, BlackRock has a $26 billion stake in Google. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's companies invest in other companies all the time. It's not. Yeah, it seems like Google Google would buy into BlackRock as a sort of diversification and way for them to uh, park their money to, to me. Or that's what it says right. to me. Google is a major activist investor. I mean, they buy companies, small companies. They're not like on big public companies but they're buying small startups all the time to to as a sort of intellectual property acquisition and who knows if they kill the projects or if they actually end up developing them i mean a lot of them do get developed but i wonder yeah they have their own investment subsidiary yeah money into yeah well not to go back a little bit but so let's say you invest in vanguard 500 you're invested in their mutual fund, not necessarily directly in S&P 500. Let's say they were to go out of business. Do you still own that stock? I mean, obviously, I mean, sounds like BlackRock's too big to fail, but. (laughs) I um, mean, I I literally don't think that they could go out of business. They're not like levered. (laughs) Uh, The only way they could possibly go out of business is like some massive fraud. And, and. Yeah, I think that they're, they're pretty well trusted to manage people's money. Um, yeah, they. I mean, yeah, they're so diversified. If it was like out of business, I mean, I guess complete stock market crash. Like, 
Yeah, I mean, obviously I would you have assume, other issues than you owning stock. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. And I would assume that their corporate structure is not like, you know, pulling an FTX that's like pulling money out of certain certain funds to fund other ventures. You know, I don't think they're, or at least at a high level, taking my S and P five hundred investment and, and throwing it into cryptocurrency uh, on the side. Right, and I think their portfolio is so diversified that they're essentially just recession proof sorry dogs want to play again. um like for example aig do you guys ever seen aig back security home security is that or uh, aig was another uh, asset management firm. oh okay no, yeah so they're kind of part of the reason why there was a financial crisis in 2008 to begin with mm-hmm. they bet big on uh, let's see they I, i'm not too familiar i don't want to misspeak it was basically due to more, more mortgages mortgage-backed securities yes that's right yeah. um aig bet big on those but then when it came out to find there was no funding there to actually be had that's why yeah. aig failed but i think blackrock and the, the government back in 2008 actually reached out to blackrock to help out those who had assets with AIG at the time, basically mm-hmm. kind of help them get through this, you know, crazy movement. Um, was wild too. Is I think is Larry Fink is a CEO of BlackRock. Uh-huh. He was one yeah. of the founders since CEO. He actually helped to invent the mortgage-backed securities back in like the nineties. Yeah. So he's if you really want to get down a rabbit hole. <laughs> He's almost, he's not to blame for what happened in 2008 by yeah. no means, but what he invented is what caused the financial crash. Yeah. Uh, I did look up BlackRock was the largest asset manager overseeing $8 trillion, uh, which had previously invested $24 million in FTX through funds, through a fund of funds. So. Okay. Huh. Yeah, I would say I went that fund of funds. Like, like for me, that my, I just want to keep. I just want to say it's Vanguard because that's what I had. I, that's what I own. Yeah. So if Vanguard was the one that invested in FTX, then I think that portion of the investment is, you know, something that someone is well aware of. They're investing in a fund of funds at Vanguard, and that they would lose money, whereas I. Myself, I'm not going to lose money because they prom- they should have. I mean, these are the the biggest companies in the world. They they should have well uh, uh, recorded like silos of corporate structure keeping yeah. money from flowing between them. Which is why I think their revenue is so low. Like you know, they have so so much under management, but the revenue is is quite low because they're not pulling high risk bets all the time. Oh yeah. They definitely, they definitely diversify mm-hmm. their uh, investments. So if you invest a thousand dollars, you may end up, you know, a hundred dollars in 10 different industries. So if one industry goes bad, the likelihood of all of them going bad is very, very, very low. Yeah. So you're which, is one of those, which is one of the reasons why like mutual stocks in like your 401k are, generally sought after as safe yes generally yeah. generally yes if they go down then then you got bigger problems to worry about than money <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah hopefully you prepped enough 
<laughs> um, Matt, was there anything else like stats or anything that you wanted to read off that you did some research on for BlackRock? So we covered a lot of them. The only one that I found interesting, um, I have probably a couple. It's just kind of an overview of the reach that they have. And the example that I saw was regarding the airline industry. People were like, oh, well, if you you want to boycott BlackRock because you hate big corporate America and you don't want to fly Southwest United, Delta, you know, American Airlines, anything like that. Well, if you want to fly commercially, you're going to still support BlackRock because they have significant investments in Boeing and Airbus. <laughs> So I thought that was kind of funny. And yeah. then the example brought back to if you wanted to shop local and say, screw big corporate America, well, you swipe your credit card. They've got Visa, MasterCard, all those other things. Um, but one, probably the last stat to talk about that I found was interesting was um, they were the first foreign-owned company to be allowed to trade on China's mutual fund market. So out of all the companies in the entire world, China is very selective with who invests in their yeah. company or in their country. BlackRock's the only one. That's very no interesting. Yeah, it's crazy. And that was during 2020 when they were allowed to do that. That, so, that and then is, we all know yeah. China is, you know, growing like crazy, one of the fastest growing markets in the world. I was kind of surprised to see their GDP was a 17 trillion. I figured it'd be higher than that. Well, yeah, I wonder if they were just hurting so bad because 2020, they obviously took a pretty steep dip. Right. I, and I think globally. And they're like, we kind of need some help. We need some leverage. We need more we money. We need some more money in the, in the system. In the system. But, but Black, what? I mean, to me, it's always it's sketchy investing in China because you don't really know if you can trust their financial their honesty. Uh, their, yeah. Yep. Yeah. It, like the companies over there, you don't really know if they're being audited, honestly. Well, on those lines, I saw the other day. Um, that China is telling all of its firms that are, you know, locally based and all mm-hmm. its companies that are locally based in China to no longer use the big four accounting firms for their audit <laughs> tax advisory. So the, those that don't know the big four accounting firms, um, Deloitte, KPMG, EY, and PwC, they do the audit work for pretty much every fortune 500 company out there. There might be one or two that don't use them, but they, their audit skills are basically renowned worldwide and China is trying to become as less dependent on America as possible. And they're trying to basically be their own silo of a economy. Uh, that's something I found fascinating. I would is- never invest in a single Chinese stock. if They, no. <laughs> they were like, they're no, like, gosh. Oh yeah, we don't want the American audit firms here. How much fraud is probably going on underneath the hood of these companies if if we're not allowed to audit them? Oh my gosh, yeah. That's called the kids making Nike shoes. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many sketchy things with. We could do a whole episode on China and our dependence on China for sure at some point. But yeah, it's kind of scary how code. We're I mean we're both codependent on each other. That that's the truth, Uh, but. It's scary how dependent we are on, on some of our uh, on them for a lot of our stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's it's sad. Yeah. Well, I mean, from a war standpoint, you probably want to be less dependent on somebody you're going to go to war with. Uh, I've talked about that in a couple episodes back. Of like, mm-hmm. 
one of the reasons why China will never go to war with the United States is we produce a lot of the food that they eat. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you're going to have to find that elsewhere ration quite a bit. But um, do you guys think a war would ever be fought on American soil again? I like think not an external civil be. war from like a external, say someone trying to invade us. With soldiers or robots, <laughs> like drones. Let's say soldiers for now. No, 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 no. I think the next war that America is in will most likely somehow come onto the front lines for us here. Do you really think so? Gosh. See, it'll I be I it'll think, be a bloodbath, but yes. I think as long as we don't have a civil war. No, that's I'm true. Not that's true. Rolling that out. I think the United States is a geographical nightmare for anybody to try and invade. Because, I mean, no one wants to get past the Rockies. Even to get to the Rockies, you have, what, 55 million people in California alone to get through? Yeah. I mean, just, let's say one in every five civilians fights back. That's still 10 million people you got to get through. Not to mention, even that's just getting to the Rockies. Then once you get to the Rockies, I mean, we've all been that way. It's treacherous, hard to get through. So you get to this part of the country... Well, I think we'd be nuked. We'd probably be nuked first. Oh, for sure. We would. So, I mean. Yeah, you know, I, it it really is, it really is something that's not talked about very often is is how uh, America's the world dominant power. One of the leading reasons for that is, is because of its location. Yeah. It it was away from the most destructive wars in the world it essentially got to build its economy while everyone all the rest of the world was reduced to rubble. And they all have like thousands of years of just hating each other. Yes. We all came over 300 years ago and was like, Hey, let's party. <laughs> then Canadians the nice out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then Canadians, they, yeah, they write off our coattails. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons why our Navy and air force are the largest in the world. And, or larger than the next like six to eight countries combined. Uh, yeah, that was crazy. When you told me that. now, though. What'd no, 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 no. I, I, I kept, Evan was talking about this on a few podcasts ago. You were like, you read off the stat that was like bigger than than the first ten combined or some. Yeah, insanity. Air Force for sure. Oh, is it Air Force? Standing Army is bigger than ours then. Probably. Something about Chinese military is bigger than ours now. Let's see. It's very expensive to hold a standing army. Um, that's why a lot of the countries don't have a standing army or it's very small. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, and I think our Navy is, our Navy and Air Force are the largest in the world. Oh no, okay. Uh, um, um, Matt is right. So the Air Force, like you said, Evan, is way bigger than anyone else's by by a long shot. But the uh, China's just passed this year, um, uh, the U.S. Navy. Um in size so yeah i think one of the things that we have more of than other countries as far as naval naval power is the aircraft carrier i think i think china has four or five and i think we have 12 or something like that i honestly think that these things are probably going to end up being worthless in the next war because the next war is going to be fought with like drone swarms yeah and and i mean i'm sure the u.s is working on this right now but Gosh, it feels like, like if I was a defense, uh, if I wanted to start a defense company right now, I would be starting a drone company for sure. 
for sure. Because I think the amount of money that's about to flow into drones is going to be insane. And I think actually the Ukraine war has has shown the utility of drones in at least some situations. That they don't have large access to drones, but I'm pretty sure we're supplying them with some at least. Yeah, the the stat that I I think I read off was uh, the largest air force in the world is the United States Air Force. The second largest air force in the world is the U.S. Navy. <laughs> oh, that's what it was. that's 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 sure Israeli Air Force. It probably isn't far behind. Maybe, but it's such a small country that I like. Maybe per population, I could say they're it, basically but... a extension of our Air Force. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that was a hot topic when I, I think we were in high school was like, we're giving too much money to Israel. Uh, but I, they also didn't talk about how much foreign aid we give to everybody. So, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, Israel is like the only westernized country in an unwesternized region. They're a very critical uh, point of infrastructure for us. I know yeah, all the they, all the people want to say it's just because the judeo-christian connection and i'm sure there's part partially partially because of that but i think it's mostly because they're a strategic point in a very dangerous area yeah oh, i completely agree i just know it was a hot topic back then yeah uh i think it might have been even part of like the 2008 debates um back then um Oh, I had another topic and I completely just lost it. Um, it wasn't on our our list. Did it have to do with drones? Um, no. Uh, I mean, we can talk about that a little bit. We talked about it on an earlier podcast about the Ukraine war a little uh, slightly and how the conspiracy theory about the Ukraine war was the United States is funneling money into the Ukraine war because they want to see how war is fought they haven't fought a, like an actual um 21st century 21st century war i mean you have the you know uh invasion of iraq and afghanistan i guess against a military superpower yeah, yeah. I mean, that was more of like guerrilla warfare um but like how is a modern day war fought and that was one of the reasons or one of the conspiracy theories behind that i don't know what your thought is on that matt You've done quite a bit of research on the Ukraine war, I think. Yeah, it's a rabbit hole. I go down like once a day. I don't know why. I think it's fascinating. <laughs> the Russians actually caught a whole lot of crap the first really couple of months of the war because they're saying all their tactics are things that were used 30, 40 years ago. And basically, a lot of the Western powers, per se, were laughing at them because they were using tactics that we used back in Vietnam. And I mean... The, those tactics then were just like containment, I guess, um, was yeah. a big was a big thing of just waiting things out and just patrolling areas and then getting attacked and retreating. And, like I said, guerrilla warfare was a big deal. So okay, so it's been like like about a year since the original Russian invasion of Ukraine happened. And do you think we are in a better place or a worse place than we were after the first week as, as oh, the whole world? Or I guess we could start with Ukraine, Russia, and then U.S. slash world. So I would say, I mean, clearly Ukraine's in a worse state. Yeah. I mean, their entire eastern side is demolished. 
um, which is kind of fascinating to me. Russia basically said that most of the eastern part of Ukraine all still want to be a part of Russia because going back to Soviet days, and that's the closest border to Ukraine and Russia. Um, but then Russia was cut off by so much of the world. I think they're probably in the same state now as they maybe a little bit worse. I don't think they'll really see the repercussions of it until 10, 15 years down the line. Yeah, Why do you uh, say that? Why do you say that? So a lot of companies pulled out. A lot of companies stopped doing business with them. I work in a global company and we stopped doing business in Russia and we closed all of our plants out there. And I think, I mean, Putin didn't, you know, decide this overnight. It wasn't a rash decision. He knew this was coming. Um, and for those that know the Russian model, they kind of tie this back to BlackRock. They have what are oligarchs who essentially own insane amount of money and they dictate they're they're almost like russia's almost run like a corporation where they have the president as a speaker and then they have the oligarchs which are the billionaires that tell him what to do yeah like some of those russian oligarchs for example they owned yachts all around the world chelsea fc the soccer team in london they were owned fully by a Russian oligarch, um, a Formula One racing team was owned by an oligarch. Like it's the reach is insane, but I think all those people were smart enough to build up and stockpile supplies, not just military supplies, but you know, food or you know, seeds, things needed to make it last for five, ten years. That's why I think that they're fine for now, but I also don't think they expected this war to go on this long either. When Russia invaded Crimea, what was that, 2014? Which used to be... Yeah, yeah 2014. Uh, did it used to be part of Ukraine? I, I don't yeah, want to... Uh, yes, I believe so. Yeah. Russia just kind of walked in, planted their roots down, and said, hey, this is ours. And no one really fought back. I forget the stat about how many people died, but it was very minimal. So I don't think they really expected this type of response from the Ukrainians at all. And I don't yeah. think they expected this type of response from the rest of the world either. Yeah, you know, I think uh, originally Russia, this is my opinion on this, is I think Russia invaded Ukraine at, thinking it would be super easy, like you just said, in, in a Crimea style. And I think they had seen the uh, um, the U.S.-Afghanistan withdrawal and the uh, Taliban take back all of Afghanistan with, within a freaking week. And I think they thought, all right, we could do that. And then Ukrainians had other plans obviously and we had other plans with the with that yeah. as well i mean without us the ukrainians would probably be completely taken right now uh, or ukraine would be completely overrun yeah no i agree um what fascinates me about this is there's a geopolitical expert that went on joe rogan's podcast and he kind of explained the rationalization behind why russia did what they did and why he thinks this is going to turn nuclear at some point. He was saying, I think his name was Peter Sohan or something like that. Um, really oh, Peter Sihan? Yes. Yes, yes. He was saying that because of Cold War era times, Russia's population, they, they quit growing. They started decreasing. And so people were so scared they were going to get nuked throughout the Cold War. 
that they quit reproducing, they quit having kids. And so from what he was saying, Russia's population is much higher in the 50s and 60s than it is in the teens, 20s, 30s combined. And so his whole point was he was thinking that Russia invading and trying to annex this younger population in Ukraine is a way to show their entire country that, yes, they are dominant. Yes, they're going to be around for a while. People can you know, keep reproducing, keep making kids. But then he said as soon as you know Ukraine fought back, he said at that very moment, that's when he believed this is going to turn nuclear because Russia has basically shown to be weak. Yeah. I mean, they can't even overrun cities of 100,000 Ukrainians with, with supposedly one of the best militaries in the world. <laughs> supposedly, I mean, yeah. yeah. As we speak right now, they're launching their largest um, invasion to date. They're basically people really? are thinking this is their all out. Let's go. Let's get it going on. I mean, they, they are advancing. They are pushing through. They are capturing cities. But they've captured four or five over the last two weeks. It's insane if you think about how much we saw this of this whole thing a year ago and how it was on social media and the news constantly, 24-7. And now I don't hear anything uh, ever. I, it makes me wonder what the real state of things are right now. I mean, I, I, it seems like Ukraine is doing a, doing much better than expected. But it is very weird. Like, I didn't know that there was a massive invasion. So it seemed to me like it, in my head right now, there's no fighting going on. It's like a stalemate, but where no one's fighting anymore. But apparently that's not true. Yeah. All you hear now is basically how much more money the U.S. is giving them. And all yeah. the other countries are, oh, we're going to give you more tanks. We're going to give you more missiles. But no, as, as of the last couple of days, Russia has been doing their biggest advancement so far. And Bakumat is a city in eastern Ukraine that's kind of been a hot topic. Russia is essentially trying to encircle the whole city just to force the Ukrainians back, basically saying they, they haven't covered on the east, north, and south side. And so if the Ukrainians don't basically back out in the next few days, they'll stop back out west to recoup their mm-hmm. vantage point, then Russia's surrounded. And yeah. Um, well, if you look back in history, most of the wars that Russia won is because of the winter. So yeah. <laughs> they never really they had any advantage now. <laughs> they don't have any trials. They never had any. They never had any tough trials. They just waited till winter and they would just win. And uh, Ukrainians yeah. have terrible winters. Ukraine has the so. terrible winter. Yeah, they don't have that advantage anymore. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, that's one of the easy, like the one of the ways that they beat Germany so easily. I mean, obviously Germany back in World War II was fighting two fronts against the United States and Russia. Um, but it was like so mistimed that when they invaded Russia, it became winter and they just couldn't survive. Like Germany just couldn't survive. And I mean, obviously they had the sheer amount of people during that time as well. I mean, they had had basically two people for every gun in Russia. Um, And so somebody died in front of you, just picked up their gun. Like, um, so just the sheer amount of people that they had fighting then. Um, It is insane. The amount of Russian, like notable Russian history events have happened in the last hundred years. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, anything, whole company has, or a whole country collapsed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> has Twice. any country ever experienced this amount of uh, 
historical worthy action in <laughs> they've got to figure something out over there see america in the 1800s <laughs> yeah yeah we like four or five wars or... yeah slavery civil war and yeah, War of eighteen twelve. Yeah, but okay. So you you think Russia's not going to be feeling this for another ten to fifteen years? But I would, I myself would disagree. I feel like they're already like. I I just think I think we don't get to see inside. It's like a, it's kind of like China, where it's a controlled state right. where we don't really see what's going on, and I cannot imagine it's it's normal. Like with all those companies pulling out, all that money lost. And then with the uh, Nord Stream pipeline <clears throat> blowing up and assuming that they've lost income in their oil slash gas industry because of that, I, I don't know if that's actually true. They might have made up for it in other, other places. I cannot imagine that, that people over there are, are doing too well right now. See, I think China's the biggest player in this because the last couple of weeks has really been a big discussion of China's relation in the war. Um, mm-hmm. China has committed to kind of, they stay neutral. They sent out a thing a couple of weeks ago, maybe about a week ago, stating basically their terms of engagement or terms of what they think should happen to, you know, come to peace with everything. Uh, I don't remember those exact terms or by any means, but mm-hmm. um, as long as China is willing to partner with them and still trade with them and keep them up, which is in China's interest. I mean, it's their neighbor. They, yeah, they border each other. I think they're fine. Another thing um, we've talked about this off air before is BRICS. It is, I think it's Brazil, Russia, China, India. I want to say Saudi Arabia as well. Mm-hmm. They've all partnered together to introduce a new global currency, basically to denounce the U.S. dollar as a you know, international trade trading currency for commodities like oil and gold and things of that nature. So I think if they can establish that on top of being able to stay consistent trading partners with Russia, and if they're trying to establish that with India as well, I'd imagine India is still going to be able to trade with them. Between China and India, that's 2 billion people right there. Yeah. The only thing is in geopolitics, China and India do not get along. So it surprises me that this currency thing yeah. is going on. It's weird. Like, have you ever seen those crazy uh, stories about how, like, India and China have like some agreement from long ago that whatever the fights they have on the border territories cannot be fought with weapons. So these people are like <laughs> yeah. fighting with like fist fighting and throwing rocks at each other, and, like sticks over there beating. Each yeah. Other. <laughs> It's wild. Um, it's like a disputed border. That's a uh, easy way to get yourself attacked, though, by the U.S. is to go away from the the U.S. dollar. I mean, yeah, I think we're really going to see in the next four or five years a harsh division in the world between basically countries that support Russia in this movement and countries that don't. Well, yeah, then that's the, the start up to World War Three when you start picking currency... sides. Well, it started yeah. because of the currency wars and how we basically entrapped the world in, in yeah. being denominated in the U.S. dollar. Yeah, honestly. If you have oil and you don't use the U.S. dollar, you're getting bombed. I, I guarantee it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> India is one of the most interesting countries to me in all of this movement, too, because they, 
they've stayed relatively neutral in everything. Yes. And all the UN votes that they've gone on, they've they've abstained from voting. So they haven't voted yes or no in terms to, you know, sanction Russia. Mm-hmm. But they've kind of stayed there, which is a shock because historically they've always been really aligned with what the Western countries per se vote with. So I mean I wonder... I India stays neutral or even chooses to align with Russia and a lot of stuff. I think you'll see a, a much, it's, much harsher divide across countries across the world than people anticipate. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really don't know much about this at all. But gosh, it seems like India is like the key ally for us. If we can like keep India from aligning with those groups, then then I think that this that keeps anything from ever uh, boiling over. Yeah, I'd um, agree with that. Because I don't think you can get the other ones are lost causes. Maybe Brazil. I don't know any much about Brazil, but Brazil's wild. They've had they kind of had an election like we had this last time. Yeah, where one where the people didn't believe that the outcome was actually what happened. Yeah, um, kind of like here, people believe Trump actually didn't win. No way, Biden won. They had one, but on a much more drastic scale, I guess you could say. I don't know a whole yeah. lot about it. But they had riots in the streets, and it's Brazil is an entire mess right now. Yeah, South Not America there, is, you know. is a mess. <laughs> Do what? South America itself is like a political mess. It's crazy. See, that's I don't understand why we don't just invest a whole lot of money in South America because of the abundance of natural resources they have. Yes, China is doing it with Africa. There's no reason we shouldn't be doing it with South and Central America. Yep, that's yep. just. I, I could get on board with that. But uh, I okay, this this new currency thing is like the most is very interesting to me because I remember at the very beginning of the war, the Ukraine war, it was everyone was talking about it like they that Russia was going to go on a gold standard or something and and it ended up obviously not happening and much to my disappointment in my gold investments, but <laughs> yeah. uh I, I don't know. I feel I always wonder if people can actually get away, if people will ever actually be able to get away from the dollar, because what are they going to end up agreeing on? It's like you have to, unless they invent a new currency, which is speculative, it's completely speculative, but one of them has to be, or they have to decide on a currency. So is it going to be whatever the Russian, what is, I don't know, what is it, the ripple, uh, the... Uh, yuan or, or yen. whatever yeah right. yeah so the countries involved in this are for sure brazil russia india china and south africa so not saudi mm-hmm. arabia oh so i thought saudi arabia was with them for sure yeah saudi Arabia has too much too. oil <laughs> yes yeah. i'm telling you man u.s and oil and u.s dollar um yeah i mean Crypto. It was supposed to be crypto, guys. Come on. I still believe Bitcoin. <laughs> Your belief is uh, in trouble. <laughs> yeah, it's doing okay. I'm not. I'm not majorly invested. I have a one percent allocation in in Bitcoin. But yeah, I don't know. This whole the whole currency thing has always interested me, and I just cannot see. I can see like. 
countries aligning together to get off the dollar, but I can't see them aligning together to get off the dollar to get on one of those countries' currency. Because you essentially just uh, move the problem to another side of the, of the fence. Uh, so I think you either have to invent a new currency or you have to go on a gold standard or you have to go on like a Bitcoin slash other invented currency standard. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't know how you would even introduce a new currency into the market. Like, what do you back it by? Like, I mean, you have to back it by gold, well, but you, or, I guess you oil. Back, well, that's why it would be a gold standard. I used to do, though, an oil-backed an oil uh, backed currency. Uh, Between Russia and China and Brazil, they got enough oil to supply most of the world. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned the Nord Stream pipeline. I kind of want to circle back to that if we can. Um, so for those that don't really know about it, it was a pipeline connecting Russia to Germany, right? And mm-hmm. it went underneath the ocean uh, or sea, I guess. And the consensus was that something just happened. Like it just exploded last year, right? That was kind of like what was put out there was it just exploded Yeah. and come to find out the U S had a sanctioned hit on it. Um, around the start of the Ukraine war that we just put some bombs on it and it took it out. I don't know. Do you guys know much about this? Uh, I mean, it's a fair, I mean, no one knows for sure what happened, (laughs) but it's, that's the story. I guess what I said was the story that had come out recently. Yes. The, the U S I mean, who, who are the possible suspects at play here? Why would the Russians blow up their own pipeline? That doesn't make logical sense at all. Uh, the Ukrainians do have a motivation to do that, but do they have the ability to do that? I don't know. And then there's the U.S. and the there's idea no behind to that. do that kind of stuff. <laughs> the, the idea behind this. We're saying this, what are you talking uh, about? <laughs> the idea behind that article that said that it was the U.S. who did it was essentially like. Well, the U.S. crippled uh, uh, Russia's influence on Europe through via, you know, their oil influence on Europe and essentially made Europe our new natural gas vassal state. And so now our exports to now Europe becomes reliant on us for energy versus reliant on Russia. And that's essentially the there's obviously a lot more details in the article. I can't remember because I read it the day it came out, but that's essentially the conspiracy in a nutshell in the state department or secretary of state or whoever ended up denying these this article saying is utterly false but it sure is believable (laughs) yeah i wouldn't doubt it the thing i'm read is saying that it was a nato military exercise being performed by or being led by the u.s navy seals and that's how they covertly went in and attached the bomb and just you know um, uh, demoted it or what is detonated? Detonated, yeah. Detonated remotely. Didn't combine those words. Detonated remotely <laughs> later on. You know, I don't know how long ago that was, but it's. I remember seeing something in an article like they were performing those exercises like three or four months before. And it was like, why are there NATO exercises going on in the Black? Was it the Black Sea or the Baltic Sea? I get them mixed up. Maybe Baltic. Baltic Sea. Yeah. Uh, why are there NATO exercises going on over there? Um, then yeah, it seems a little bit suspect. Yeah, 
maybe we didn't exactly do it ourselves. Maybe we told someone, hey, if you look under the rug over there, there's $100. Uh, uh, don't do it, though. Uh, you know, a big plot twist would be if Canada's involved. Canada, <laughs> they're not the same happen. people leaving out to be. And they, their biggest exporter is oil. Basically, like really? oil and timber, I would guess. So, I mean... Well, that would be... A- or that would be another that would be a Game of Thrones type shock. Yeah. <laughs> you freaking you freaking Ned Stark just become the new Baelish with Canada <laughs> being like some sneaky right. player. What I thought was interesting was the country that came out and said that hey it was the US was Poland. Like I understand they're pissed they don't have heat during the winter, but they're NATO yeah. allies. So I'm I'm surprised when I saw that Poland was the one saying was it like a Polish, Pol- the Polish like prime minister or whatever the like said that, and then it was like redacted or something? Like yeah. he was like, oh, oh, never mind. Uh, uh. Believe the tweet, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, we're in the height of a war. I say we. Ukraine's in the height of a war. We're backing we them, similarly to how the Korean War was, right? Uh, we backed South Korea. Was it China that backed North Korea? Uh, mm-hmm. It's kind of similar to that a little bit. And, well, they're getting a lot of money through giving gas to Germany. Um, Trump, during his presidency, said, we probably should figure out a different way to do this so that Germany's not or Europe's not reliant on Russia for their gas. Well, we can make them less reliant. Here's... Here's some detonation, some C4. We yeah. can take Here's care of it. Here's some extra motivation to uh, make you less reliant on Russian gas. <laughs> what uh, a plot twist that would be is if it was uh, Trump. Trump himself paid for people to go blow it up. <laughs> I told you guys. I told you. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually one, one of the best best uh, uh, videos I've ever seen whenever you know someone resurfaced that video of him destroying the German prime minister and them all laughing at him about the him like him saying oh you guys are reliant on russian energy and that's basically yeah. stupid <laughs> and it was like oh look who ended up being right then yeah i mean like i so i work for a global company i mentioned before and i'm in meetings constantly with a lot of the europeans my two above boss is based in italy and he and the another person on the team is based in denmark they're always bringing up heat and gas issues uh, yeah. all, for the last six months, that's all they've talked about. Yeah, and I'm like, sucks to suck. We got gas over here. <laughs> Come buy it from us. Yeah, Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma natural gas. You know, we do quite a bit of that. Yeah, right. Um. Well, do you have any hot takes, Keaton or Matt, on either BlackRock, Nord Stream pipeline, or Ukraine war? Hmm. Any hot takes? I think BlackRock's only going to get bigger. I mean, if they're managing, you know, eight trillion, whatever it was, assets now, the market is basically a freebie. <laughs> I mean, stocks are so low; it's crazy. Their their influence is only going to grow. Um, Nord Stream. I'm going to go ahead and let me say it probably wasn't America. I get the rationale behind why it's easy to point to us. But I think if when it ultimately comes out, I don't think we did it. Well, I'm I sure think, we had some influence. Or is that you're also you're going to say that or no? Yeah, it's almost like how BlackRock has influence on 
you know, other companies indirectly. I could see that being the case, but I don't think we actually did it. I think it's we're too easy to point the blame to for it. I don't know. If we influence it, though, then why aren't we uh, – or if we did influence it, then why aren't we kind of like, you know, releasing some evidence on someone else, <laughs> the person who did it? You know we have it. We like to be the bad guy sometimes, yeah. even though we I, probably shouldn't be. I don't have – I mean, I don't really have any hot takes, mostly because I don't know a lot. Of it. I will say that I think that the Ukraine war has actually been – I mean, gosh, okay, I guess you have to – you can't necessarily eliminate the risk, the existential risk of nuclear war uh, from the equation, but if we just did, for argument's sake, it seems like we're like the big winners of this. We made, we made, uh, or we've weakened our, I think, I think our second biggest enemy. Uh, some politicians who I think are idiots think they're our first, first biggest enemy over, uh, over China, but nonetheless, are one of our biggest enemies. And um, we uh, have have made Europe our new vassal state on yeah. our natural gas exports. So yeah, we'll go Oklahoma. The it's a boon to our economy. <laughs> yeah, drill, baby, drill. <laughs> I think it goes nuclear at some point. I don't know. Well, I think if the nuclear war happens, then that's the end of mankind. So that would be nice knowing uh, you. <laughs> No, no, it's what is the what is the saying? It's like I do not know what weapons World War Three will be fought with, but I know World War Four will be fought with sticks and stones. Yeah, because sticks and I stones break it, my bones. I can see it going chemical before it ever goes um, nuclear, like how in Syria, supposedly yeah. Russia was providing the chemical weapons used on the women and children by the. No, yeah. Uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Basically. The gas. (laughs) Except I think it was Germans in that. Uh, Maybe it was Russians. No, it was. Was Russians? Okay. Um, Well, I think... you have a hot take? I think we escalated this Ukraine war quite a bit. I mean, we all all three know somebody that was in Ukraine training people uh, to fight. Um sanctioned by the united states we can talk about offline i don't want to name drop but um we know somebody um (laughs) that was in ukraine training their soldiers how to fight um i think that was a pretty big step in the wrong direction uh maybe i guess gaining an ally in ukraine the most one of the most corrupt countries in the world um but i think i think russia is going to have to escalate for sure they it's the pressures on them ukraine doesn't have to the the way ukraine wins is they just hold out long enough so that russia quits russia wins by conquering ukraine um so there's like obviously a lot more pressure on russia Um, russia's already come out and said they'll stop if if ukraine will just give them the the dontesk region which is the far east region they want dontesk and they want crimea to be not disputed they want full control of both of those which the big benefit of both of those is they gain access to the Black Sea mm. or Mediterranean, whichever one it is. Whatever all, sea is like, just south. All, all oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, not Mediterranean. Mediterranean. Is it not? Is it? Is it? Man, I must have my geography really screwed right now. Texas is a state, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I know geography. Let me see this. 
on a map. Uh, it wouldn't be Mediterranean. It'd be one of the bees. Let's see. Black Sea, yeah. Black. Mediterranean is uh, Mediterranean is actually gets is pretty close to oh. the Black Sea, though. Yeah, I mean, is is, is there a canal? That yeah, it looks like it on the map at least. They're right there in Turkey, Istanbul. Yep. So I mean, you get that, and that's that's an, a whole world of trading partners. Shipping lanes. Russia. Yeah. Okay, okay. Oh. I I want to say before we go, like we real quick, because this could end up going on for a long time. Uh, do but let's answer in short short form. Do you think that what do you think the war would be different if Donald Trump had won in twenty twenty? Yeah, I don't think it happened. Yeah. Same I, same I thing. With, yeah, I, I'll think about it a little bit more if you want to give you if you want to give an answer. Um, I think it would be a lot different. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I kind of think it wouldn't have happened, but I definitely don't know for sure. I was interested to see what if you guys had something. Yeah, I mean, a weaker U.S. would mean. Why not? I don't think it would happen because Trump, from our viewpoint, was a lot more transparent and open about his conversations with Putin than Biden has ever been. I think this is my my take is I think it, it doesn't happen because Trump is a lot more of a loose cannon than Biden is. Yeah. It's actually like the best, the big, it's like the worst benefit. I always say this is the, the worst benefit at home is actually his greatest power abroad (laughs) which is just the absolute unpredictability of of the dude i think so too if you look at maybe just european russians kind of way their ideology is is they really respect power and like forcefulness and you know kind of aggressiveness and that's maybe more of an eastern european thing Mm -hmm. rather than uh, western europe but i think trump's like, you know, when he's someone even before he's president, you know, when he walked in a room, kind of one of those people. Yeah. I think that alone would go a long ways from steering. Yeah. You actually, you know, I feel like you actually have the, uh, the looming threat in the back of your mind that maybe, maybe this guy actually would nuke me. Yeah. <laughs> what was it? Was it Teddy Roosevelt? His policy was uh, keep calm and carry a big stick. Yes. Yeah. Basically saying, I'm going to shut up, but if you come after me, I will destroy you. Yeah. Well, I think that applies now. We we still have the big stick. This th- this thing never went away. I guess you have to be likely to use it. Yeah. <laughs> I think is what Keaton's point is because yeah. the stick hasn't changed in size, at least as far as we know. Um, you got to be a little bit of a madman in foreign policy. Because the mad king. Well, somebody was talking about Russia recently, and I think I talked to you about it, Matt, the other night when we were watching the Thunder game. Was they broke the treaty, I guess, for the arms race kind of deal. I don't know exactly mm-hmm. the treaty, but then they also said like we we'll do we'll go one for one with you guys on creating nukes and creating a larger standing army and all that. Yeah. Um. Which that's not to go unnoticed. Yeah. No. I mean, that's a big escalation, and then um, something we didn't talk about. I don't want to take a whole time, but it's. I haven't followed it too closely, but a lot of people think that Russia is about to go into Moldova, which is on the south. It's a, another country on the southwest side of um, Ukraine. People think there's going to be a coup there, and people are going to try to overthrow the government. And with that timing, 
people think Russia is going to attack Moldova as well because they're a non-NATO member country, which is interesting because with that, they aren't a member of NATO, but they have strongly partnered with NATO historically. Hmm. So it's almost kind of like UK's connection to Europe. You know, the whole Brexit, they don't want to be part of the EU, but they still are, you know, in a group. So that was going to be interesting to see how NATO reacts because they do have such strong ties in Moldova. But there's been a lot of buildup of Russian warships on the ports that they own on that sea. Wow. Well, the so if you're about Moldova in the next week or two, Russia's probably gone after it. The ghost of Moldova will reappear. Yeah. The ghost yeah. of Kiev's grandson. Ghost of Kiev. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's so stupid. I don't want to have the nice propaganda back again. That was that was a lot of fun. Oh, it's still out there. Ukraine put out a thing. They've shot down 300 Russian uh, planes like this morning. <laughs> like, no, this is one of the most documented wars in history. Yeah. If you shot down 300 planes, people would know. They would know. <laughs> well, it goes to Trump's show you even, 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 the, even the countries that we trust – Still lie. So, what yeah. are the countries we don't trust? How much are they lying? Um, anything else we want to discuss? No, I think that oh, covers yeah. my end. I appreciate you boys having me on. Yeah, of course. Yeah, uh, again, Matt, do you have any social media you want to shout out or anything like that? No, I don't post anything. I'm good. Okay. <laughs> At Eve Peacock Five, if you want to see me post a story once every three months. <laughs> um, we'll link it down below. And uh, this has been Simply Technical. Thank you guys so much for watching. We'll catch you again on the next one. Thank you, fellas. Adios.